Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the TDN. I also co-host the Down the Stretch radio show on Sirius XM Radio. I am Randy Moss with NBC Sports, currently ensconced in the corner of a hotel room lobby bar in Houston, Texas. So uh, hopefully John Legend in the background won't be too loud for us here. <laughs> John Legend in the background? What are you doing uh, in Houston? Looks like you're in jail, by the way. Just, you know, throw <laughs> <laughs> I am in Houston for what is supposedly one of the country's biggest rodeos. My oh, first wow. rodeo, believe it or not. All right. Well, this is the game we play every week. Where are we? We know where Bill is. I'm at the Whiteface Lodge in Lake Placid, and it is absolutely gorgeous. I was hoping it might be snowing, but it's not snowing. And I have a, a mimosa, so I apologize for my behavior <laughs> in advance. And, the most, and that's your hotel room? That's the most unbelievable oh, yeah. part. It's bougie. Oh, oh yeah. Got a fire going. Got a balcony. I'm looking out <laughs> here. <laughs> There you go. There's, there's snow out there. I don't know if you can see it. Balcony. Uh, oh, yeah. Doing it right. Good stuff, Snowy. So, Randy, uh, well, first of all, I want to remind you that this week and every week we're brought to you by our good friends at Keeneland. Randy, you didn't correctly identify yourself in the segment we just did. Oh, you just okay. said, hi, I'm Randy Moss, Senior Buscador's biggest supporter. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about Senior Buscador off and on now for how long? Since the middle of oh, last oh summer? Goodness. Yes. Yep. And you have always stuck by him. So congratulations, because, of course, he wins the Saudi Cup uh, and runs a terrific race. Uh, we're going to have the uh, trainer, Todd Fincher, on a little bit later in the Green Group Guest of the Week. But, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, including you, were happy to see this horse win. Oh. See, this is just a hard trying horse. You know, he's out there in all these big races. He always runs well. But that big win had sort of eluded him. And boy, did he pick a good time to put in a career best race. $20 million Saudi Cup. And uh, congratulations to the whole team. But Randy, uh, do you have a, uh, did you have a big smile on your face on Saturday? I bet you did. Yeah, he's such an easy horse to root for, right? He's come so close so often. Things always seem to go wrong. His connections are salt-to-the-earth people. We'll talk to Todd Fincher a little bit later, Joey Peacock, the owner, same way. And it was like a perfect storm for this horse in the in the Saudi Cup. I, I'm sure Todd will talk about this, but Todd had told me way earlier that the horse, in his opinion, and it's his opinion, gets intimidated when other horses are to his immediate outside. And that's why early in the race, sometimes he takes himself back so far, even when the pace isn't fast. It's to clear himself from all the horses to his outside. Well, in the Saudi Cup, the pace was so fast that the field essentially just ran away from uh, from Senor Buscador and Ushba Tesoro. And then the second part of it is that he's always caught so wide around the turns because the rider has instructions, don't let horses be right up on your outside. In this case, he was only like two or three pads off the rail around the turn, turning for home all by himself back there. 
And then on top of it all, he's a horse that does his best running down the stretch. And you won't find many stretches longer than at King Abdul Aziz Racecourse in Saudi Arabia. So the pace as well, it all combined for the perfect setup for our man, Senor Buscador. And honestly, I don't think there's any single person across the world that was not happy with the outcome. Perhaps Ushba Tesoro connections because he came a long way and ran a terrific race just to get like mugged right on the wire. But it's a feel good story and a feel good story that racing desperately needs for Todd Fincher, a guy that not a lot of people have heard of. He's won over 1500 races, if you include some of his quarter horse wins as well. Just a, a true story. And, and let, let's just not forget, how good did Saudi Crown run? Because all evening long, that track was favoring deep closers. Like nobody went gate to wire. And they have practically a standing start there in Saudi. So to go 23 and 4, 46 and 1, and still be around at the end, honestly, he might have run the best race of all the horses because he mm -hmm. was up there the whole way and just got mugged in the shadow of the wire, it might be just a little bit further for him than he wants to go. And looks like that perhaps he'll head over to Dubai as well. In fact, I think they're all there already just testing the water. So a truly terrific race, new course record, uh, besting Mishrif's record, nine, ten, nine hundredths of a second off of that 149.50, the new stakes record there. But a, a truly marvelous performance. Yeah, it's also nice to see an American horse win after uh, several years. And this is one who will not be embroiled in some big scandal. <coughs> Maximum security. No worries about that. So congratulations to the whole uh, team. Uh, Randy, it wasn't a perfect day for you because your second favorite horse, Derma Sotagaki, ran fifth. He ran OK. But comment about him and then also uh, both you guys. Uh, I mean, there was one huge disappointment in the race. White Barrio just didn't run. Uh, I mean, that was not the horse that won the Breeders' Cup Classic. He was 10th. He had, I couldn't see any apparent excuses. Um, you know, I maybe the long layoff for him from the Breeders' Cup to this, in hindsight, wasn't the right thing uh, for this particular horse. But he was a huge disappointment. He's coming back to the States now. He's not going to run uh, in Dubai. And now they've got to regroup. Yeah, I mean, I look, I thought, uh, yeah, I agree. Saudi Crown ran a gigantic race. Senor Buscador ran okay. He got beat two and a half lengths. Uh, he got a pretty good trip. So not much of an excuse for him. I thought National Treasure ran a pretty big race as well to be right up on the pace with Saudi Crown like that and still only be beaten, what, like a length and three quarters or something like that at the wire. Uh, no show, quite a barrio. I can't make any excuse for him, really. Um, he had a, what I thought was a reasonably good trip and just came up completely empty. And to, to listen to Rick Dutrow in the lead up to the race on the on the world feed, I mean, Rick was very confident that the horse was training exceptionally well and doing well. So back to the drawing board for that one. Uh, many big races on the Saudi card, but the other one that uh, has implications for uh, U.S. racing was the Saudi Derby. And there's kind of two stories um, out of that. The, the winner was Forever Young, a Japanese horse. He's four for four. Ran a, a really kind of odd race a little bit. Um, and in mid-stretch, it looked like he was going nowhere. Matter of fact, the announcer even said, called the horse flat. Then all of a sudden, he took off within the last 16th of a mile and caught my favorite horse, Bookham Dano, who ran <laughs> terrific. So Forever Young is, you know, we, we keep waiting for a Japanese horse to win the Kentucky Derby. 
think we all think it's going to happen sooner or later. Maybe this is the one. He looks like a pretty good horse. And old Bookham Dano, got to give him credit. He lost by a nose. He ran terrific. He's going in the Pat Day Mile next time out. The uh, Connections have no interest in the Kentucky Derby. They just don't think he's a mile a quarter horse. But uh, Zoe, forever young, um, pretty impressive race. Uh, I could see him being in the starting gate into Churchill Downs and, and being a contender. I mean, he's going to have to figure things out a little bit more than he did. He was so, so far back and really only does his best, best running late, which again was aided by the track that day in Saudi and uh, aided by the long stretch, which really helped him. He needs to learn how to switch leads because the only time he ever takes off is once he finally gets to that right lead. He wasn't really asked for the lead change. And he's going to have to grow up a little bit and figure things out a little bit more. Don't, let's just not forget these are the connections of Lanny. He also looked a little bit portly going into that race. I believe he needed that race. And I think he's just got to get a little bit more rounded all around. And we'll get to perhaps everybody's favorite in just a moment with Timberlake. But I thought it was a good race. I felt dreadful for Bookham Dano's connections. He ran so big. I was thinking of you the whole time, Bill, because he is your favorite horse in New Jersey bred. <laughs> Me too. But, oh, just gut-wrenching. Like, that is the epitome of the word mugged on the wire. And he was absolutely mugged. Right. He's like some little old woman getting to the wire and some big guy coming up behind her and just, like, smashing him <laughs> down on the floor. He was mugged right at the wire. Have to really feel for Derek Ryan. I did really feel for him because they went to him straight for an interview after he got beat a zap. And he was very gracious. And you could tell how much that really hurt. This race was a real paradox, I think, because it's very easy to look at the race and the way it was run and watch Forever Young struggling on his left lead all the way down the stretch and be disappointed in the way he ran, even though he got up to win. But let me give you another take on this that I haven't really read anywhere or heard anywhere else. OK, the running time of the Saudi Derby was one minute, 36.17 seconds, one turn mile. The running time of the Saudi Cup, 149.50 mile and an eight, one turn mile. Anyone that does speed figures, buyer speed figures, thoroughgraph, ragazin, you name it, has parallel time charts. Those two times are almost identical in terms of speed figures. That's how fast the Saudi Derby was. In hindsight, you look at the race, and one of the keys to figuring out exactly how good this race was, I think, is Ben Tornato, who was the third-place finisher in the race. Okay, Ben Tornato had been undefeated around one turn going into that race. He'd had very consistent buyer speed figures around one turn, 87, 88, 90. He seemed to run his race. In fact, he had the lead at the three-eighths pole. And he finishes third, beating six lengths, five lengths ahead of the rest of the field behind him. If you figure, okay, Ben Tornado probably ran his race. He ran somewhere in that 87, 88 range. Then that makes Forever Young and Bookham Dano up near 100 in the speed figure realm, talking about the buyer speed figure scale. Bookham Dano coming off that 12-and-a-half-length win in the Pasco at Tampa Bay, despite going four, five wide on the turn that day. He ran a gigantic race, and Forever Young, despite breaking slowly, despite getting shuffled back, despite racing four to five wide around the turn, despite not changing leads, still ran him down and won in very fast time. 
It's going to be interesting to see how Forever Young does now going forward in the UAE Derby. And if he wins the UAE Derby and he looks as good as Derma Sotagake did, then we're all going to have to figure out what does it mean when a horse goes from Japan to Saudi, from Saudi to Dubai, then from Dubai to Kentucky. That's going to be the big question with this horse. But it was a much better race than it looked visually. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. Okay, so uh, stateside, the big action this weekend was at Oaklawn Park, where the Rebel Stakes was uh, on tap, $1.25 million purse. Timberlake wins the race. Uh, I don't think anybody should be surprised. Um, He was the only graded stakes winner in the field. And, you know, he's, he's a grade one winner from last year, trained by Brad Cox, got a lot going for him. But... He didn't beat anybody. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't step up next time out in the Arkansas Derby, which presumably will be a tougher field if, if that, in fact, is where they're going. Um, you know, he can only run against who they put in the starting gate against him. But, Randy, we had talked about this a little bit b- before um, the race. We were previewing the race. Uh, you know, I don't understand. Oakland puts up $1.25 million and, and it, it, they don't get any kind of field, I guess. Uh, but, you know, look, uh, is, t- is Timber like a bum? No. Is he going to win the Kentucky Derby? We'll see. But, um, you know, I'm not going to get real excited about him just yet. Yeah, it was the kind of race I thought that it wouldn't blow blow your socks off. You know, you wouldn't watch that race and say, wow, there is my Kentucky Derby horse. But I'm not sure that's the kind of effort they wanted out of Timberlake in the very first start of his three-year-old season, right? He did what he needed to do. What I like the most about it is that he, he was in a crowd of horses early on and as opposed to the way he would run sometimes as a two-year-old, he didn't get overly keen. He didn't pull a whole lot. He relaxed. He went three to four wide around the turn, got a little lost in mid-stretch there, tried to drift out a little, but he got his bearings back again. And he went on and he went on and went about his business and won. Uh, he didn't beat a whole lot. You're right. The runner-up common defense got an absolutely dream run up the rail and Northern Flame, who finished third. Those two are both trained by Ken McPeak, was up on the lead and held on pretty well, but he's probably not going to be a mile and a quarter horse. But Zoe, I want to I want to hear your opinion about this. And then I have a rabbit hole I want to go down when you're done about this. <laughs> okay, let's have it. Oh, all right. Well go, go ahead. With no, my you opinion. go first. Yeah. I'm not sure we saw the Derby winner. He was the best horse in the day. Christian Torres was subbing for Florent Giroux, who was picking up two million for running third in the Saudi Derby. My guesses are he'll get back on the horse. Looked like perhaps Christian forgot to to steer him very well down the lane because he popped him a couple of times left-handed. And he drifted out a lot before he was corrected and came back in. He won the race. Um, You know, if you look at his pedigree... It's an all-turf pedigree. He's by into mischief, which is helping him run on the dirt. But distance isn't going to be a problem. He's out of a full sister to yesterday. So he's got some very, very good turf influences there in his pedigree, but he runs well on the dirt. So sky's the limit for him as far as I'm concerned with distance and stamina. And we've seen time and time again, don't forget Churchill Downs, he's very kind to turf horses. Like a lot of turf horses unusually run so well over that strip at uh, Churchill Downs. So I think that is only going to help him. But yeah, it was a good run. Was it amazing? No. Did he get the job done? Yes. In his first start of the year, which I think is key. Did Did you give us a fire speed figure? Because you keep going in and out. What did he run? Do you know? 
Uh, he ran a 93, a 93 buyer speed figure, which is right in line with what he had been running as a two-year-old. So he didn't show any big step forward, but, uh, you know, again, he looked like he kind of did things the right way. So, Right. Well, the other story at Oaklawn Park, of oh, course, no, was the Honeybee Stakes, which was the we, prep. We need the rabbit hole, Bill. Oh, that's right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Rabbit hole. I've got rabbit, you ready? rabbit hole. hole. Look. I've got your tail, so you <laughs> don't go too deep. <laughs> Every show, rabbit hole alert, right? We need to have like a graphic. Ding, 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 ding. All right. So this is not really about Timberlake. It's more about Northern Flame, really, the third place finisher. We probably remember, because we go back that far, uh, a mayor by the name of Beautiful Pleasure. They yes, won the Breeders' Cup Distaff her. in 1999. She was owned by John Oxley, who had owned, who would own Monarchos a couple of years later to win the Derby. She was the champion, uh, older dirt mayor that year, 1999. A couple of years later, John Oxley, the owner, gave his wife an anniversary gift, a yearling filly, who he named Darling My Darling. Okay, Darling My Darling was a nice horse herself. She won a couple of stakes races. She beat Surfside in a stakes race at Keeneland. Uh, In the name of Debbie Oxley, John Oxley's wife, the owner of record. When she retired, Debbie held on to her. Darling My Darling had 11 foals. A nice mixture of fillies and colts, a couple of stakes winners. You know, she wasn't a fantastic producer, but she was a solid producer, right? Right now on the Kentucky Derby Trail, Forever Young is out of a mare named Forever Darling, out of Darling My Darling. Sierra Leone is out of a mare named Heavenly Love, out of Darling My Darling. And Northern Flame is out of a mare named Darling's Darling, out of Darling My Darling. It's amazing that Darling My Darling would be connected to three horses right now. That if the Derby were run today, well, Forever Young doesn't have enough points right now, doesn't have any points. But the other two would be in the starting lineup for the Kentucky Derby right now. That's my rabbit hole of the day, guys. Yeah, so that's... you know what we need to do? We need to get a sponsor for this segment. <laughs> you know, uh, we have sponsors for everything else. And this week, uh, uh, Randy Moss's Rabbit Hole yeah. brought to you by So-and-So Farms. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there we go. So uh, our, uh, our behind-the-scenes executive producers need to look into that to uh, get uh, to totally uh, brand Randy's um, forays down the rabbit hole. Okay, so now let's talk about the honeybee steaks. Um I, I inter- actually interviewed Wayne Lucas before the race for my radio show. And, you know, basically I didn't put it this way because I'm going to be not, I'm not going to be rude to him, but what the heck are you doing running a horse that's had five lifetime starts, still a maiden, has never run beyond six furlongs and you're throwing her into a grade three mile and a 16th stakes. And he gave me all sorts of reasons why this horse is going to run huge. Um, he's going to fool people. She's going to fool people. And I was like, yeah, 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 Wayne. Yeah, sure. And there you go. He got the job done. And, and you know what? Um, y- you know, the thing about Lucas is he- he'll take chances. He's 88 years old. He's been around. He's seen it all. There's not many trainers that would have put this horse in this race. They would have been, you know, trainers tend to be so cautious and conservative these days. And he put uh, this horse in there. Uh, and by the way, Keith Asmussen, Steve's uh, son was the jockey, his first ever graded stakes win. Now Lucas has a horse on the road to the Kentucky Oaks. That was a less than perfect day for him because Just Steele, his main contender in the Rebel, was seventh. 
But he also had two winners on the day and was second in the carousel stakes. So uh, old D. Wayne Lucas, man, he's still clever and crafty and getting it done. And I mean that. If this horse was trained by anybody else, he never would have won this race. She never would have won this race. What a cool outcome. I mean, Zoe? such a cool outcome. And it was a fantastic weekend for the young stallion collected as well, as he picked up another graded stakes winner, also had one in Dubai. But Lemon Muffin, a maiden going in there, great story with Keith Asmussen. But I'm going to take you back. I have a funny story about Lemon Muffin from the two-year-old sales. Now, she was sold by Story Atkinson's, Atchison's Dark Star Thoroughbred. We went and looked at her. She worked 10 flat, and she was kind of an unassuming dappled, dark steel, gray daughter of collected. A little bit of a rounded so shoulder and kind of a plain bag when you looked at her standing still. Her work was terrific. And when you saw her walk, she really strided out. So we really liked her. And we went and spoke to Story. And I'm like, hey, what about that collected filly? She paid 20000 for her. We're like, she's she's really nice. Bruno DeBert wound up paying 140000 for her out of the sale. So we looked at her and story was like, I have a, I have a funny, funny story. He goes, she's like, you know, more often than not, you hear about it and it happens an awful lot at the sales, but they brush it under the rug. She bought the wrong horse at the Keeneland Yearling sale. So she said she was in the back ring and she saw this Munnings filly, this chestnut filly walking around the back ring. And she's like, wow, Munnings this far back in the sale. And she's looking at her. She thinks the Munnings filly's gone in and she hears the auctioneer, auctioneer like 10,000, 15,000. She's like, I've got to buy it, 20,000. And she bid 20,000. Hammer comes down, filly gets back to the barn. Her assistant calls her and she's like, what, what do you think about the Munnings filly I just bought, the chestnut filly? And she's like, that's not a chestnut, it's a gray. So she's looking through the catalog and she's like, oh, I bought the one before. It was a collective filly. <laughs> she bought the wrong filly for 20000 and was like, what am I going to do? So she cut a deal with her exercise rider who breezes her horses at the sale, kind of gave her to him. And at the sale, she was like, what have I done? This is the best one I'm selling. And and there you have it. She breezed 10 flat, did everything perfectly. She was like, that's, that's the one I bought. I bought the wrong horse. So I hope she goes on and does amazing things with that story. That is well a absolutely story. great story. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll take a lot to top that. So it's terrific. <laughs> well done, Bruno. <laughs> to all right. We've all seen Lucas make these, uh, make these bold, aggressive, sometimes over-aggressive moves before in his career. I think it's kind of fitting that this one took place in 2024 and it took place at Oakland Park because it's the 40th anniversary of one of his all-time aggressive moves, which also took place at Oakland Park. Uh, that year, he had a filly named Althea that he ran in the fantasy stakes against one of Laz Barrera's really good fillies named My Darling One. Althea had been the two-year-old filly champion. She just won the Las Virginis and defeated My Darling One. My Darling One went on to win the Fairgrounds Oaks. They met up in the fantasy at Oakland Park. My Darling One defeated Althea by a half length. There was 10 lengths back to the rest of the field. To this day, 40 years later, it remains the best performance I have ever seen a racehorse give in defeat. Althea went to her nose at the start, rushed up on the rail at the five-eighths pole, got stopped cold, back to last, circled the field, hooked up with my darling one at the top of the stretch, and they went like this all the way to the wire. 
in a figure that today would have been a buyer of about a 104, 105. Unbelievable race. So I go to Wayne Lucas's barn after the race uh, the next morning. And in knowing Wayne, even then, 40 years ago, I say, hey, Wayne, the Arkansas Derby's coming up next Saturday. Is there a chance that you would run Althea back in seven days off a race like that? And he said, no, no way. No, I'm pointing her for the Kentucky Oaks. So what happens on Thursday? He enters her in the, in the Arkansas Derby, runs her in the Arkansas Derby. She wins by seven. She ties the track record, 146-4 and four for a mile and an eighth, set the day before by Wild again, who went on to win the Breeders' Cup Classic later that same year. And behind Althea, Pine Circle was second. Gate Dancer was third, and at the threshold was fourth. Pine Circle finished second to Swale in the Belmont. Gate Dancer won the Preakness at the threshold, was third to Swale in the Kentucky Derby. Unbelievable stroke of aggressiveness by Wayne to bring that Philly back in seven days to win a race like Now, he took it maybe a little too far. Two weeks later, he ran her in the Kentucky Derby, and she was one of the favorites, and that didn't end so well. But Wayne has been aggressive like this for a long, long time. And he's still in her barn. I think the barn that he's in at Oaklawn is named Althea because they name all the barns after Arkansas Derby winners. I do want to remind you that the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. It was a big weekend for Keeneland grads with another top-notch Kentucky Derby prospect on the trail in Timberlake. We mentioned him already. Timberlake, a $350,000 Keeneland September yearling, was the winner the Grade 2 Rebel Stakes in his 2024 debut in impressive fashion, earning 50 points on the road to the Kentucky Derby for trainer Brad Cox. Also, on Saturday, we mentioned her as well, the daughter of Collected, Lemon Muffin, a $20,000 September yearling, won the Grade 3 Honeybee. And Keelan grads, Zitlos won Oaklawn's Carousel, run Classic, won the Gulfstream Park Sprint, and Saudi Cran picked up a cool $2 million finishing third in the Saudi Cup. Your next chance to shop at Keeneland is the April 26th Horses of Racing Age sale. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. At Keeneland, a horse will always be measured in hands. Hands that see, that sense, that speak. Hands that hold our sport to a higher standard. Not for our sake, but for theirs. For the love of the horse. For generations to come. This week's Fastest Horse of the Week segment is brought to you by Improbable, one of the fast sires at Windstar Farm. Improbable's highly anticipated two-year-olds, some of them in the barn right now, getting ready to launch their careers later this year. His first yearling sold for up to $650,000 in 2023. And why not? In 2021, Improbable was bred to over 100 mares, the CPI 3.80. That was the best group of mares of any first crop stallion that year. And, of course, he went on his racing career to become champion older male, winning three consecutive grade ones at age four. He was an undefeated grade one winning two-year-old. A lot to like about Improbable, who stands at Windstar Farm. Now, the fastest horse of the week ran on Saturday at Santa Anita in an undercard race at one mile, an allowance race. His name, Judge Miller. 
He won that allowance race, his first two-turn start at a flat mile, not a flat mile, a two-turn mile, by 11 lengths. And what makes it so cool, Judge Miller gets his buyer speed figure of 105, and he'd run pretty darn well in his two previous starts with the 94 and the 92, but he stepped into a new dimension in this race. And he happens to be a full brother to Clarier by curling out of cavorting, owned by the Muir Hut Stables, trained by Mark Glad, was ridden by Frankie DeTore on that day. Flavian Pratt rode him before. So Judge Miller, a lot to look forward to for this horse as he continues his career. And this week is our fastest horse of the week. And Randy, I honestly firmly believe he was running in the wrong race. He should have been running in next week's big cap because the way he finished down the lane He's got this huge stride. He was absolutely amazing. Well, I was working on a story this week for the Thoroughbred Daily News that involved uh, trainer Jeffrey Englehart. I think we talked about this on a prior podcast. Uh, he got a charge of a clumbuterol positive from the Horse Racing uh, Integrity and Welfare Unit, which was a very serious matter. He could be suspended for as much as two years. Um, he came to me and said that he didn't do it um, and that the, the course uh, it was for clumbuterol and that the clumbuterol was in the horse's system when he bought it at a two-year-old sale at Ocala in June. It turns out that he was right. Uh, he, he played this really smart. He got a good lawyer, Alan Pincus, and, you know, they sent, uh, they insisted on getting what is called a segmented, a hair test, a segmented hair test. Uh, I don't want to go into all the, uh, you know, the deep dive into the, what that means, but you can use that kind of, uh, uh, test to show when a drug was administered. So lo and behold, he proved through this test that the drug was given to the horse before he bought it at the sale. And therefore he could not have been the one that gave him the drug. Now, Randy, you had predicted when we first talked about this, that, that, that common sense would prevail and, and, and the charges were dropped. And you were absolutely right. I mean, you know, sometimes I think Heiser shoots first and asks questions later and they're getting better about that. But one thing I will give him credit for is, you know, when they can see and somebody can make a case that they've been treated wrongly. And, you know, there's been several of these people that have had a similar situations. Heisel will step in and do the right thing. They did the right thing here. Engelhart went through hell for a couple of weeks, but they did the right thing in the end. Look, regardless of which side you come down on on HISA, I think everyone would agree that HISA is the most administratively ambitious undertaking in the history of American thoroughbred racing. I mean, to try to tackle everything they're tackling, that that tangled web of medication as well as the horse safety aspects of it. And we all thought, I won't say everybody thought, but I think a majority of us believed that the medication rules in American thoroughbred racing needed to be stricter. They needed to have more teeth. And the only way to do that is to write rules that are tough. The problem is that when you write rules that are tough, and we talked about this as well months ago, you would wind up at some point ensnaring a trainer, a horseman that was well-intentioned, that perhaps accidentally violated rules or had some other problems that led to it that was unfair. And the acid test for HISA, I think, was going to be all along how it would walk that tightrope, right? How it would handle 
those kinds of situations, how it would handle the appeals, how it would handle tweaking the rules, maybe rewriting the rules if necessary, because the rules are made by humans and humans make mistakes. How willing would they be to correct things? Okay, and I think and at the same time, why it's a tightrope is that you don't want to water down the rules to the point that you're diminishing the deterrent factor that HISA has with some of these horsemen that we've always thought was so important. And I think what we saw, you alluded to it, and what we saw with, with Englehart and what we've seen with some other trainers, horsemen that we've talked about over the past months, that part of HISA appears to be working pretty well. Now, there's still complaints, obviously, about the costs of HISA and things like that. But I think they are listening in situations like this, and they are letting common sense prevail, I believe. So let's go to Zoe now because she is our sales expert and uh, especially at two year old sales. Uh, Engelhart's charge that he said 70 to 80 percent of all the horses that go through a two year old sale would be on clenbuterol. I, I mean, I don't know the faintest idea that's true. I mean, it sounds like a lot, but I came back with a follow up story uh, about Heiza. Now, remember, Heiza has no control over a horse until it has its first published workout. So therefore, Heiza is not involved in policing two-year-old sales or any or or, or um, weanling or yearling sales either. And, you know, my kind of point was Heiza shouldn't care about integrity in just some of racing. It should care about integrity in all of racing. And the sales are a huge part of this sport. Matter of fact, it's the most uh, successful and, and booming part of the sport is with. So I said, look, it's time for HISA to try to change its rules and to take steps uh, to have horses be covered horses earlier so that they could come in and police some of these sales. So Zoe, I, I threw a lot at you there, but uh, first of all, I mean, um, what, you know, does it happen a, a million times at a sale? No, but it happens, we think, at this Ocala sale. Is this a problem with people you know, just like they do on the racetrack, taking little edges here and there. Well, here's the problem with Heiser and the clenbuterol problem. If you're going to test and it can go back two years, clenbuterol is a therapeutic drug mainly used to treat airways, okay? So say you have a foal that has pneumonia. The foal goes to the clinic. They're going to give that foal clenbuterol. Now, there's no record because covered horses aren't covered under Heiser until they have their first workout. So say you bought this horse as a weanling, it got clenbuterol. Say the foal got sick as a yearling, it got clenbuterol. There, there should be somewhere where you can register this and say, I gave this horse clenbuterol. I mean, the easiest thing to do would be to buy one out of the two-year-old sale and say, hey, my horse got sick. I gave it clenbuterol after its first recorded workout. It's here. And then I don't know if that would cover you or not. As far as the clenbuterol being rampant in two-year-old sales, I mean, people do try and take an edge, but they really are the most regulated sale that you're going to buy a horse from. They jump through all kinds of hoops. There's random testing that you would think would nullify it because, you know, when I was a jockey, there's random drug testing. I'm not going to go in a room when someone's smoking weed just in case that happens because it's random. So for the general public, kind of the sensible people, you're not you're not going to do it. And it's buyer beware. And it's not rampant. 
But there are bad eggs in every basket, whether you're a weanling consigner, a yearling consigner, a two-year-old consigner, whether you're a trainer, there is always going to be a bad egg somewhere. It is not just in the two-year-old sales. But I am in agreement that if HISA is going to enforce these kinds of penalties for clambutrol that will rule a trainer off for two years, they need to start at the beginning and go all the way back. Now, it's be careful what you wish for, right? But we've just seen case in point that that happened. He exonerated himself because he's got a bit of money. He got a good lawyer. Now, the average Joe is not going to be able to afford that, afford that segmented hair testing. That's expensive to go back month by month by month. And he paid for that himself because he had to. TD and Riders are brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. The PHBA will run 23 races of $100,000 of value. Stakes races at Pennsylvania tracks throughout 2024 for Pennsylvania breads, including five for PA sired PA bread runners. Two-year-olds will have added opportunities as the PA sired PA bread stallion series returns for its third season with four stakes worth a total of four hundred. Thousand dollars. The 2024 series goes over into 2025 with a couple of races for three-year-olds, a $50,000 breeders bonus as well, paid out to the top three point earners after the third leg. The first of those 23 stakes races with purses of $100,000 or more will be run April the 22nd at Parks Racing. The unique Bella for fillies and mares and a Paige McKinney handicap, each seven furlongs for older horses. For more information about the PA Bread program, and we know you want to know about it, go to pabread.com or just call them on the phone the old-fashioned way, 610-444-1050. That's 610-444-1050. The state of Pennsylvania has the best breeders program in the entire United States. When you buy a yearling, it's a little bit like buying a lottery ticket, and we are trying to provide a lottery ticket that the likelihood is to hit the jackpot. Angel of Empire wins the Arkansas Derby and wins it clear. Uncle Heavy late, it's a photo finish! Pennsylvania and the PHBA have the best state bred program in the country, bar none. The winner, Uncle Heavy, he's a three-year-old, bred in Pennsylvania. Well, it's, it's, it's really nice when you get to look at horses as yearlings and then you come across one that gives you that feeling and has everything you're looking for really quick. Then you get home and he is the horse. That's the fun part about it. When it hits you in the beginning and you get to like them better and better and better as they train, that's a good feeling. That's a really good feeling. Boy, they've been fun to train. Really forward, sharp on the track. They've, they've got sharp minds. They want to work. They all move well and we've been excited about them. So far the Colts uh, done everything right. Good mind on them, uh, real good looking, like strong forward type of horse. Looks quick, looks like he could be early and I've saw quite a few Tizzlaws I thought the same thing about, but pretty excited about uh, showcasing them off with OBS March here coming up. They're just smart about their training. They make it really easy on us. They're, they're right there when you ask them to do something. They're forward, they're strong, and they move well. He's real push button, this horse, so when you ask him, he keeps that in his little computer in his head. Next time you go out, he's waiting for you to push the button to ask. He's a rocket ship, actually. 
You know, I feel like he actually does it pretty easy. It all came to him pretty naturally. Um, from day one, he's kind of bowed his head, took a hold of the bit, uh, galloped out there nice and professional like an old horse. But I will say, the more I've done with him, the more he's progressed, and the finished product's coming out pretty good right now, but I don't think that's gonna be the end. You know, he's gonna keep on going and getting better. Tis the Lord. Hit the top boxes for us, what we check off. Big, strong horse, big bone. The races he won and how he won them convincingly. Grade ones that were the toughest grade ones. That's what we're looking for. Those real grade one winners with good female families. Those are the signs that make it. Now our favorite part of the program, as always, the TD and Riders are brought to you by the Green Group, a tax accounting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry and especially specializing, is that redundant? in saving you money on your taxes. And we welcome in now the Green Group Guest of the Week. It's none other than Todd Fincher. Had a pretty good weekend, you might say. He went off to Saudi Arabia with Senior Buscador and comes home with the first prize check of $10 million for a horse that ran the race of a lifetime and uh, provided a lot of thrills, not just for the connections, but as we talked about earlier in the show, uh, how is everybody seems to root for this horse. Uh, but Todd, let me ask you, this was his first grade one win, and this was your first grade one win. Do you ever imagine that would come in a $20 million horse race? No, people have asked me that question before, but Saudi Arabia and Dubai really uh, never crossed my mind. It's always been the Breeders' Cup and the Pegasus and big big races in the United States. I never really thought about it much until uh, after the Breeders' Cup and uh, Cigar Miles when that kind of come on our radar. Well, when the race was over, Todd, and we all got finished beating our legs, rooting for the horse as he was, as he was coming down the stretch, I thought one of the funniest moments was when you were interviewed right after the race by some, uh, it was a British guy, I think, and he said, so, Todd, how confident were you that Senior Buscador would win? And you kind of looked at him like he had three eyes and said, <laughs> was I confident that he would win? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, I mean, this horse has overcome so much, so many times. And finally, now he gets it done. I mean, what had to happen on Saturday for, for this fairy tale ending to take place? Well, just a little less bad luck is all that really needed to happen because every time he puts himself in a terrible position and, uh, and this race, if you watch it and we watch, I've watched it a few times, the Japanese jockey really did a good job. He had me in a bad position for a long time and, uh, Buscador didn't have anywhere to go. And, uh, the Japanese jockey made a late, you know, he turned his horse loose late down the stretch and we had to let him clear us before we come around. So we had a late run at him and uh, it, it was amazing that he could make up that much ground in that short of a time. Now, you've said in the past, you told me that your theory was that, that Buscador didn't like another horse right on his outside. But he seemed to handle that okay in Saudi? Well, we're going down the backside, and I'm standing right by Mr. Peacock. And I told him, I don't like this. This horse is right on top of us. You know, there's one horse back there, and he's got the leverage on us. He's on the outside. And we had to wait. He had us He had us in a bad spot, and we had to wait down the stretch when that horse finally cleared us that we could move out and make our run. And uh, Junior timed it perfectly. I mean, that, that's why all the emotion, because he never thought he was going to win until the last second, and we still didn't know if he won. So 
the emotion was just automatic, just instantaneously. Can, can you describe describe exactly how you felt when that horse was coming down the lane and you were like, is he going to get there? Is he going to get there? Did you know he got his nose down? Well, in the paddock, I told Junior, I said, I've watched a couple races. I says, this lane is long. I mean, it's, this thing is very long. And my instructions were wait as long as you can to make your run, which he did, but he really didn't have a choice because the Japanese horse did a great job just keeping leverage on us. But uh, down the lane, and I watched a few races, and I still couldn't get used to how long the lane was. I'm like, dang, he's going to get get up for fourth or third. That's pretty good. You know, it looks like the wire's coming right now. Then they hit a next meter deal, and I, oh, shoot, we got more time. And then when they hit the wire, I thought I thought he won, but and Junior waved his stick. But I've been nosed out many times before when I thought I won, so I kept it until somebody came up to me and said, it's official, you won. And then wow. we let out all the emotion. It was awesome. Wow. Todd, the um, race was a mile and eighth around one turn. And that uh, I don't think is, would be the optimal uh, distance and configuration for your horse considering his running style. Now you're going to Dubai where the race is longer and around two turns. So, you know, you said you weren't real confident he would win in Saudi Arabia and, you know, you're going to face another very tough task in, in Dubai. But should the Dubai race, in some respects, be uh, a better fit for him and therefore easier for him to win even than Saudi Arabia? Uh, they're great ones are never easy to win, but uh, the shorter the race, the faster the pace, period. So the further you go, the pace is going to be slower and he needs a, he needs some kind of setup because. I don't know why he does it, but he sucks himself back right out of the gate. If you watch the Pegasus, he outbroke National Treasure, and in three jumps, he's four lengths behind him. So he does that to himself, and he's not going to change that style, and, and we can't change it. So uh, it, you're still going to need a pace uh, because he's not he's not going to get up there mid pack and hang around. So he needs a he needs an honest pace, you know, and it, he does it to himself. Uh, he's, he puts himself behind the eight ball every single time. You know, it's not always a negative to come off the pace. I'm not saying that because uh, a lot of times you got you have a good pace. But but uh, when you don't have a pace and you come from behind, you're always having to pass 10, 11, 12 horses. You're going to have to you have obstacles in front of you. You got to weave in and out. Usually have to go wide. Uh it, it's it's not advantageous most of the time, but uh, but he is good enough to overcome a lot. And he he got a great trip, except for how good I'm telling you that Japanese jockey did a great job keeping us in a bad spot, and just very proud of the horse that and and amazed that he can make up that much ground in a short amount of time on that great of a horse. So your owner, Joey Peacock, has mentioned this a lot. You've mentioned a lot about all the things Senor Buscador has overcome during the course of his career. Uh, Joey gave you a lot of credit for your patience and the way you handled this horse. I know you got to have a patient owner as well. But wh what are some of the things that you've had to deal with throughout Senor Buscador's career uh, before he gets to this point? Yeah, I mean, just terrible bad luck, a stall incident where he had a a major hawk infection that the horse is lucky to be alive, let alone racing again. His hawk was huge, and all the vets said it, it'll never come down all the way and just uh, hope that, you know, he'll have a life after this. And 
and just a lot of lot of therapy and a lot of patience and uh, and the owners were were great. You know, he takes bad news as good as any owner I've ever had. So uh, just to see it culminate in this is just awesome because we've known since he's a two year old he was a monster. So it's just awesome that it's all worked out. And people always say, you know, well, the knock on him is he doesn't have any speed. Well, that's, you know, they, they don't know the horse like I do. I work him with Slammed at Churchill and uh, Slams won the grade two jockey club of America at Keeneland by six lengths. She's super fast. And he corralled her in a half a mile and they smoked around the racetrack. And then you can go back and watch his first race at Remington going five and a half furlongs. He walked out of the gates, was gawking around, and he packed. They went 103 and one, which is super fast on that track, and he blew him away. I mean, he is super fast. His running style is what he decided to do. We didn't, we didn't uh, keep him to do that. <laughs> he is super fast. He is super speedy, but he just doesn't show it on, on race day until the end. What's he like to be around? Because I remember watching him at Santa Anita. He seems pretty straightforward, but he's almost like a throwback horse. He's danced every dance. He carries tremendous weight. Is he easy to handle and be around? He's a great eater. He's a great doer. He loves them cookies. And then uh, they got him addicted to carrots now. So he loves them too. But yeah, he cleans his bucket every night. Uh, He's a six-year-old, you know, us guys get a little older, we get a little belly on us, and uh, <laughs> but he, he carries quite a bit of weight. I, uh, he, he's a, you know, he's a clown. He's got a great personality, but you lead him up to the track, he likes to stand and look. He'll stand and look for 10, 15 minutes if you let him, And uh, but he goes out there and trains great. He's not a good workhorse. You put put a target in front of him. He's a great workhorse, but you go out there to work him by himself. He might go five eights and one oh three. You know, he's just, but he likes the competition. And other than that, he's been very easy to train. Uh, Todd, your personal record is very good. You're extremely consistent. You won twenty four percent of your starts for your career, um, and you come in with those numbers virtually every year. Um, you are the man in New Mexico. Um, have you ever thought about trying a, a, a tougher circuit like uh, Kentucky, for instance, where, um, you know, a, a good trainer with your statistics could obviously make a lot more in purse money? But what, and if not, what keeps you in New Mexico? There's several factors. Uh, first of all, you have to have the horses and uh, uh, just don't have them. Uh, I have a ton of local horses, New Mexico bred horses. Uh, like last year, for example, you know, we break all our own horses. I got a guy that's worked for me for many years and he's got a, we have a good crew and we break our own horses. We start them from the ground up and uh, we break usually 30 to 50 horses a year and 95% of them are New Mexico breads. Like mm. last year, we broke two Kentucky breads and one Louisiana bread and the rest were New Mexico breads. So it's not like I have enough horses to do it, but this year, uh, we actually broke 15 Kentucky breads or Louis, a couple of Louisiana breads, and then we have a few more coming. So we might have an opportunity to take a stable somewhere, but you can't go somewhere with two or three horses and and uh, set up a stable and think people are going to bring you horses and just, you know, you'll die you'll die of a slow death. So so that the biggest thing is the horses. You know, I have family here. I have a wife with a couple stepdaughters. I have a couple sons that they're all between the ages of 10 or 12. You know, 
it's hard to even get to see him now with when you're traveling a lot. So if you move away, you're never going to see him. So that plays a part in it as well. So I, I definitely am considering open up another stable and I'm not sure I'll take him. Uh, we always go to Del Mar with a handful or so uh, with really top notch horses that we have. And uh, I think this year I got a few more and we might make a permanent move somewhere. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about some of those you might have in particular, right? One thing you do have going for you in terms of horse flesh is a mare by the name of Rose's Desert, who is obviously the dam of Senor Buscador. She's, you know, the pride and joy of the Peacock family, going way back to Joey Peacock uh, Sr., who passed away about, I guess, maybe four years ago almost now, three and a half, three years ago, something like that. Anyway, who's next in the Rose's Desert pipeline? Well, I have a three-year-old filly now, uh, Candy Ride, out of Rose's Desert, and <clears throat> she was kind of a late bloomer. I ran her once, really short distance, not her deal, but we set her off the pace, and she circled around and won, but she had a sore shin, so I kicked her out. She's turned out right now, and like I said, Mr. Peacock, you just we play the long game is what he says. We want to race them and take care of them, so... We'll get her back up and training pretty soon. Hopefully have her ready for Del Mar this summer. And then as a two-year-old, they have a hard-spun filly named Rose. And uh, she's coming along fine. We usually put five, six, seven works in Rose's Desert's babies. And then we turn them out two to three months and just let them grow up and then get them back and have them ready for the fall. That's worked good so far. (laughs) Yeah. The only one out of Rose's Desert that we continued on with – was runaway ghost. He was pretty precocious and showed a lot of run early. And I sent him to, had him ready to run. I sent him to uh, Mike Mikowski in California and he, he had some success with them. And then they brought him back here to Sunland for the three races that led up to the Sunland Derby. And he actually won that and qualified to the Kentucky Derby, but he ended up with an injury and we didn't run him in the Kentucky Derby. And, and I can attest that Todd is a great guy to send a horse to because I owned a piece of Kelly League. I showed you his picture last week, and when we had Kelly League, we sent him to Todd. So this is all going full circle back to Sunday. <laughs> We've got, like, the whole family. I'm a good friend of Courtney Schneider, who runs uh, Shoham Place, where Rose's Desert is, and all the family. And we were, we were trying to hunt you down, and she gave me Joey Peacock's number. And she was like, yeah, Todd hates interviews. He won't even want to talk to you guys. So it must be the pull of Randy that got you to talk to us. Awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, she bet me that you wouldn't talk to us. <laughs> well, I don't ever recall turning down an interview. So, uh, I mean, it's whatever I can, any way I can help for promoting and helping the sport, I'm, I'm not going to duck an interview. Great. So, um, Todd, the horse is six years old. He's a stallion. And um, I mean, it's pretty clear why he hasn't gone off the stud yet. He didn't have that. He's got uh, by mine shaft, so it's okay breeding, but it's not into mischief or gun runner or anything like that. And he hadn't won a grade one race. Um, I would imagine things have changed now. Maybe it's too early, but you know, are any farms out there now saying, "Hey, yeah, yeah, we, we want to take a look at this horse," and, and, and very well could be a, a stallion standing in Kentucky. Uh, I haven't heard anything yet. Uh, you know, I think. I think uh, they don't give him the credit he deserves because mm-hmm. his mom is a New Mexico bred and everybody's going to turn their nose down to that. 
Uh, she was an exceptional racehorse. I could have took her anywhere, and she would have won or placed in greatest stakes races. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Uh, she's produced nothing but winners, nothing but stake winners, uh, greatest stake winners, uh, plural. And uh, no, they they just the blue bloods don't really care to see a New Mexico bred. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, yeah, the market value with the mine shaft. Isn't like you said in a gun runner and a mischief, but all she does is, is win, and all she does is produce winners and stakes winners. So, uh, if you look at the family and look at the horses, if you look at the mare, she's gorgeous, big, strong mare. Uh, she has a, a daughter named our Iris Rose, who had really uh, not the best feet, and I honestly did not manage her perfectly. I made a few mistakes with her. She did win a stake race at uh, at Lone Star over a Brad Cox in the mischief filly that was a monster, and she beat her. But I I probably made a few mistakes with her. Uh, John Sakur of Hillendale did a full share with Mr. Peacock, and they have a curling colt on the ground, and I don't think you'll be disappointed when that horse hits the track either. So, Todd, I can't think of a more substantial culture change than going from Sunland Park, New Mexico, to Redai, Saudi Arabia, and King Abdul Aziz Racetrack. you got to have some stories about what Saudi Arabia was like. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, we're pretty sandy over here, too, in Sunland Park. So. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, we got lots of stories. It was a completely different culture. Everybody walks – we were walking around like, with on eggshells, you know, we just didn't know what we can and can't do. And, uh, they treated us great. We didn't have any problem with that. It's just a completely different culture. What was the most unusual thing for you to get your head around? I'll tell you something that was really weird. Uh, we were watching the races early on and the horses would be coming down the stretch and be getting close to the wire and it's dead silent. Not like any racetrack I've ever been to. Everybody yelling and screaming and, you know, they're drinking and gambling and they're rooting, rooting their betting interest on. And But not over there. It's just dead quiet. They just watch the races. It was, it was a completely different feeling I've ever seen. Well, Todd Fincher, thanks so much. And congratulations on your success with Senior Buscador, a very popular horse and a popular winner of the Saudi uh, World Cup. And good luck in Dubai in a couple of weeks. Thanks again, Todd, for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. The good news just keeps pouring in for Todd Fincher. Not only does he get a seven-figure windfall as the winning trainer of the Saudi Cup, but as this week's Green Group Guest of the Week, he gets a free one-hour tax consultation from Lynn Green and the Green Group. For more information on how Lynn and company can help you with your taxes, go to www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonder Wheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 
or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. With some of the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year round, there's never been a better time to reap the rewards of breeding and racing in Kentucky. Purse money in Kentucky is at an all-time high, as is average purse per race, outpacing California, Florida, and New York. Kentucky Brats. Breed them. Raise them. Race them. We all win. The TD and Riders Room is also brought to you by, and this covers a wide berth, by Kentucky Breads. Guess who is a Kentucky Bread? Senor Buscador, our Saudi Cup winner. That new stakes record time at King Abdul Aziz Racecourse, 149.50. Congratulations again to Senior Buscador and all of his connections. All told, Kentucky Breads won $14.2 million of the Saudi Cup's $20 million purse. How about that? Find your Kentucky Bread at the upcoming OBS March sale. That's March 12th through the 14th. Breed them, race them, raise them. We all win. Zoe? We rewrite the tape, Randy, and go back in time this week by popular demand to the Corgi races. This is the Winter Nationals. And just watch these guys go. It's the moment many of us on track have been waiting for. It's the Corgi Nationals. Here's Giorgio. Thanks so much, Frank. We are here for the Winter Corgi Nationals and uh, two exciting heats to see who goes to the finals. These are the semifinals. They're all set. On your marks, get set. Go, and they're off. Emmett, there goes Hilo. Emmett's in the big lead, and Emmett blows him away. A convincing win for Emmett. Arlo does get second. We're here with Emmett. Emmett's won four of the last five, and he wins again. What is the key for Emmett to keep winning? Today, it's these card skins. He's really interested in these card skins. Card skins, I can smell them from here. That is the key. You've got to have cod. We'll see you in the final. Best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. Emmett. Roy is in, they're all set. On your mark, get set, go! And they're up! And it looks like Cosmo goes right to the lead in the middle of the track. It is number five, Ali, and number three, Oliver. We're here with Cosmo. Cosmo's taking down the semi-finals here. I'll ask the same question. What's the key to make him run fast? He loves his fetch. Look at this. You want this? <laughs> all in the gate. On your marks, get set, go! There they go, right to the lead. It is Ilo. Here comes Emmett. It's going to be close. It's going to be Ilo. How do you keep it going? He looked like he was pumped and ready. He looked a lot fitter than last year. Exactly. I mean, he gets better every year. He's, he knows he wants to win, and so he's training to get ready to prepare. How old is Arlo? Eight years old. Eight years old? Yeah. So we've got a senior, Arlo, winning the championship here. Congratulations and thanks for joining us here at Santa Anita. Let's hear it for Arlo. And yes, Emmett was knocked off of his pedestal. He'd won it four of the last five years and gets knocked off by a young Upstart. All right, guys. Well, we'll be back racing at Santa Anita this Friday for a 12.30 post. But do not forget, 
a super Saturday as the first Saturday tour continues with great races at Gulfstream and Santa Anita. We have everyone's favorite in the Big Cap. We have the Kilro Mile as well as the San Felipe special opening time of 12 p.m. for perhaps 11 or 12 races. We haven't taken entries yet, but it's going to be a huge day of racing at Santa Anita on Saturday, 12 o'clock post for as many races till the sun goes down, guys. Queen Elizabeth would have loved that Corgi segment, by the way. Oh, she <laughs> loved it. She'd, love, she'd probably won. All right, guys. Huge weekend of racing with Derby preps galore. Uh, we had the Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream Park. We had the San Felipe at San Anita, the Gotham at Aqueduct. And to uh, add to that, several other big, big races like the Devona Dale at Gulfstream Park, the Big Cap at San Anita, the Kilroe at San Anita, et cetera. It'll be a very busy weekend. And we'll probably uh, learn more about the three-year-olds uh, this weekend than in any other um, one uh uh, th that we've seen previously. Uh, so we're recording this on Tuesday. We only have the past performances for Gulfstream Park. We'll do the best we can uh, with the uh, races from uh, uh, New York and from San Anita. And, and one of the stories that uh, still hasn't been answered yet is Speak Easy, who broke his maiden for Todd Pletcher and got a 100 buyer figure. Randy, that would be the fastest figure for any two-year-old this year. Yeah, and it's been verified by a couple of horses that finished behind Speakeasy right, that came back and ran subsequently. So it's a big number. Right. So he has both entered in a Friday allowance race at Gulfstream Park and the Fountain of Youth. I texted Todd Putcher this morning. He says not only has he not made up his mind, he will not make up his mind until Friday morning of the race. So uh, the, the complexion of the Fountain of Youth will change quite a bit if that horse goes in and uh, – Pletcher uh, is certainly not uh, tipping anybody off about what his intentions are. But with or without Speakeasy, this is a very nice race. And you have two horses in here that are among, you know, virtually everybody's top five or top six in the uh, their ratings in the Kentucky Derby. In Dornock, who won the Remsen and beat Sierra Leone, who, of course, we know came back and won the Risen Star. He's the full brother to Mage. And, uh, geez, Randy, um, Maybe you haven't had a chance to go down this rabbit hole yet, but there can't be anything precedent like this. And, you know, full brothers running in back-to-back -back derbies or even half brothers in back-to-back -back derbies. You mean there's a rabbit hole I haven't been down? Are you kidding me? Well, how, how did I possibly miss that rabbit hole laying right there? Just saying, calling my name. I'll have to, I'll have to come back next week and we'll talk about that one. All right. Yeah. Uh, next week. Figure that out. Yeah, it looks like a two-horse race on paper. I mean, Dornock, you yeah. know, Danny Gargan, the trainer, has been touting him forever as the best horse he's ever trained, and he says everything's been going well. Gave him a few weeks off uh, after the Remsen, and he should be all systems go. Locke has had a little bit more issues. He had a fever that knocked him out of the Samuel F. Davis stakes at Tampa Bay, but he came back and worked well after that, so no problem there. It was just a minor little setback. So those two horses look like on paper, especially if Speakeasy doesn't go, it looks definitely like the two-horse race. Um, if he does go, then it makes it a little bit more interesting. But, uh, Zoe, it's a good lineup. It's a very good lineup, indeed. And you mentioned uh, Speakeasy and Doorknock. They're definitely the two to beat. I'll be really interested to see Doorknock because he always had this big, huge, massive frame that he needed to grow into, much like Just FYI, who we'll talk about in just a moment. But... He can only get better as a three-year-old. You know, time and time again, we see horses making their three-year-old debut, and we're disappointed. I think sky's the limit for Dornock. He's only going to get better with racing and with a bit more time. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him running.
And his Remsen was obviously flattered by Sierra Leone, who came back and won the uh, the Risen Star coming out of the Remsen. So, yeah, good race. And the third place finisher in the Remsen, uh, drumroll please, also came back to win uh, in his next start. So a fascinating fountain of youth, which will be made even more so fascinating if Speakeasy goes in here. Uh, guys, want to take take a guess? What do you think Todd will do? I think he'll run an allowance race, personally. But, I mean, it's a mile and an eight, first of all. So it, yeah. it's a little bit more of a test for him than the mile and a sixteenth of the Fountain of Youth. Whether that's going to be an advantage or a disadvantage in Todd's eyes, I'm not sure. Uh, but I think there's a reason why they entered in the allowance race. And so I, my guess is that that's what he'll do. Now, the Devona Dale, this race will go a long way towards determining uh, what happens on the road to the Kentucky Oaks. And we got the return of the champion, just FYI. Of course, the two-year-old Philly champion last year after her win in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. Randy, I'm going to start with you on this because um, this is, a, uh, to me, looking at this race, this is a, a dilemma that all handicappers um, have. How important are speed figures? How important is class and proven form? So just FYI is not particularly fast. She's never run more than a 79, which was her number in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. On the buyer numbers, Leslie Rose, trained by Todd Pletcher, is faster, 88 and 87. However, you got one horse that's a champion and a two-time grade one winner versus a horse that's just won an allowance race in a maiden. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I believe in your figures, um, the, the Andy Byer and you guys, but um, I can't take uh, Leslie's Rose over just FYI. I think this, uh, she's just not as accomplished enough. I didn't say she can't win, but, you know, I'm going to go with the champ. Hey, wait, you're blowing my mind here. First, you tell me there's a rabbit hole that I haven't gone down yet. And now you're asking me how important speed figures are. Me, you're asking me that, right? Yeah. Look, the, the last I checked, the definition of a race is the amount of time it takes for a person, a horse, a dog, a corgi to go from point A to point B. So time, ergo speed figures, are the most important component of that. And Leslie's Rose in her two lifetime starts, not much of a body of work. Her slowest race is a couple of lengths faster than the fastest race that just FYI has run in her, what is it, three lifetime starts, okay? So, look, I, I know just FYI had to overcome a lot in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. She overcame a number 12 post position. She overcame a pretty fast pace, right? Uh, she survived all that, and she gets extra credit. But she, there's a reason why she got a slow figure. She ran her last 16th of a mile in that race in 7.01 seconds. That's walking. That's crawling for a top stakes contender. So to me, the jury is still out in a big way on how good just FYI really is. And I'll take the numbers and I'll take Leslie's lady, uh, Leslie's uh, Rose, especially since the horse she beat and that allowance race last time at Gulfstream, a horse called Gunsong, a Lee Lewis, Mark Enig Philly, came back and won an allowance race and verified that speed figure for Leslie's Rose. So I'm taking the Todd Fletcher allowance Philly. All right, Zoe, do you go for the class horse or the fast horse? I know or someone she's else? going for. She's going for just FYI. <laughs> Listen, speed figures don't lie, and you're right. But is it not true that faster speed figures are generally in sprint races? Is that correct? No, no. It, it's their uh, speed figures are uh, just as accurate 
at a mile and a half or a mile and three quarters as they are at four and a half furlongs. It's it's okay. all taken but into consideration. Yeah, speed figures are generally lower, right? It's definitely lower in most definitely. cases, unless okay. you're talking about a you know a, a generational yeah. talent, right? Okay, so we've got her speed figures from a two-year-old, and yes, right, Leslie Rose right. this year and last year as a two-year-old. They're still higher. I'm not going to argue with you on speed figures because they are the predominant factor to handicapping. The higher the number, the lower the number, the better the horse. It's just simple as that. But sometimes you have to look at the horse physically. And I'm going to argue, like I argued last week, that – just FYI, should not have done the things that she did as a two-year-old sprinting, going six furlongs, just because she was like a big, giant, gangly baby Huey. And hopefully this year she has grown into herself, and it was just purely sheer ability that got her to overcome those daddy long legs legs. So I'm sticking with just FYI. But I'm right with you on speed figures. Well, but your point is absolutely right on that some horses, not all of them, but some horses make a step forward physically, right. mentally, and speed figures from their two-year-old season to their three-year-old season. So if that's the case yeah. with just FYI, yes, absolutely. There will be nobody more disappointed than me if she does not park or win, at least win the Devona Dale. Nobody more disappointed than me. I'm just throwing it out there. All right. Stay tuned and we'll find out about that. Um, we don't have, again, the PPs out. Uh, Zoe, I know you've been touching base with the uh, Racing Secretary's Office at Santa Anita to give us some sort of feel about the San Felipe Big Cap and Kilro. What can you tell us? Uh, well, the Kilro looks like it's going to be RGs, Danny Man Shines, Dujour, Bob Buffett with his turf horse. Easto's a very, very good horse, uh, Phil D'Amato and Goliad, and perhaps first piece Iridea. That's going to be good. We'll see what happens in the big cap. Um, and, you know, with the San Felipe, it's probably going to be a little bit on the shorter field with two of Bob's running. Bob just doesn't know which two as of yet. Maybe Cornell, Why Me Up, Coach Prime. We don't know if Muth's going to run. Um, Island Cruiser. Um and we'll see what else happens. But there is going to be an awful lot of racing at Santa Anita on Saturday. And the big cap looks like we're probably going to have O'Connor shipping in for Safi Joseph and running in there as well as New Grains, a.k.a. Shamu, who is one of my favorite horses here on the grounds at Santa Anita. He's aptly named for trainer Phil D'Amato. He looks like a big, giant whale, hence he's called Shamu. Well, the horse that I'm looking forward to of the ones that you mentioned uh, running is the D'Amato trained Easter, who's won three races in a row. And the yes. reason I look forward to watching Easter run is that it, it stresses to me yet again how thankful I am that I'm too big to be a jockey because this horse <laughs> is the toughest horse in America to ride. He's got to be. I mean, not only does he break slowly from the gate every single time, then he tries to run off with the riders, no matter who's on him. They're back there, you know, trying to steer him, and he wants to run over horses in front of him. And you think this horse has no chance at this point, and yet he still comes from behind to win. So that's why I'm looking forward to watching Easter run to see if uh, to see what kind of escapades he can get himself into this time. It'll be a good race. That'll be the killer. A very good race indeed. 
So the feature at Aqueduct on Saturday will be the Gotham. And uh, it's well known that the New York route to the Kentucky Derby has been very unproductive over the last many years. Uh, Randy, this would be an easy rabbit hole question for you. Give me the last Gotham winner who won the Kentucky Derby. The last Gotham winner who won the con- winner who won the Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll give you the Secretary favorite. Secretary won the Gotham and won the Kentucky Derby. I don't know. I don't I'll know that. Secretariat. Nobody since then. Nobody since. Wow. Years. Nobody has won that race. There's been a couple of nice horses that have come out of it. So uh, Brad Cox is going to uh, run as many as four horses in there. And uh, frankly, without the past performances, because a lot of these horses are, you know, not really household names. I, I don't have a whole lot to report. Uh, anybody uh, know anything or like any horses in the Gotham? I get, well, Just a Touch is the Justify Colt that broke his maiden very impressively on uh, January the 27th at the fairgrounds, won it by four lengths, and visually was it was kind of one of those wow maiden races. And, uh, you know, it begged a stakes race for his next start. And so Brad is loaded down in New Orleans and at Oakland and all that, so we decided to send this horse up to the Gotham. Uh, I'll be interested in seeing him run. He definitely looks like the best of the Cox horses. Bergen comes off a win in the Jimmy Wingfield and looked pretty good. The other two he's thinking about running don't look like much on paper. I'll give you a couple. Todd's running a couple that look like they're long shots. I know that the the Christophe Clement barn is very high on a couple of three-year-olds that they think, against all odds, can get the Clement clan back to the Kentucky Derby. Okay, One of these horses is deterministic. And the other one is Capital Idea. And to me, Deterministic looks the better of the two, I believe. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, and they are both on the list of uh, probable slash possibles for the Gotham. I love Deterministic. I remember his maiden race like yesterday at Saratoga, going five and a half, should never have won, ate all the dirt, got up in time, did it the right way, and has been on the shelf ever since. And he looked like a three-year-old then. I am looking forward to seeing what he looks like. He's big, beautiful-looking colt. Um, that's him for the Gotham. Let's let's not forget about Jody's Prize, who's going up there to run in the busher. Now she gave Just FYI all she could handle in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, and Jorge Abreu has opted to ship her up for the busher to basically not run into just FYI looks like Jose Lescano will pick up the mount because Flavian Pratt is busy in Kentucky. And I didn't really like Jody's pride going into the juvenile Phillies dirt. Cause I always thought she was better on the grass. Flavian Pratt flew back there before the juvenile Phillies and said he'd worked her on the dirt and said, trust me, Zoe, she is better on the dirt. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Jody's pride has to say. I expect a big race from her. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. We mentioned it earlier how well Doorknock has been training down there at Palm Meadows. Well, he is the work of the week. It's Doorknock working on the inside here, work four furlongs in company for trainer Danny Gargan at Palm Meadows with his stablemate Neat Trick on the outside. Priscilla was aboard Doorknock who absolutely Pulled her the whole way around there in 47 and 4. Could not have gone any better. Now, we last saw him taking down November's Remsen Stakes at Aqueduct. And he is scheduled to make his very first start of the year in the Grade 2 Fountain of Youth at Goldstream on Saturday. I'm not sure you'll see a horse work much better than that with Priscilla aboard him. He looked really, really good. 
all the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TD and Riders Room also brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Another huge weekend ahead for West Point and partners. Listen to these horses they've got running. All right, first of all, in maiden races, okay, at on Saturday on the Fountain of Youth undercard at Gulfstream Park, a filly by the name of Sedona will make her career debut. Sedona was a $2 million yearling. She's a full sister to multiple graded six when her first captain. At Santa Anita, a $2.5 million yearling by the name of Metro will run in a maiden race at Santa Anita as well. Then on the graded stakes front, Slider will ship from California to run in the Gotham and Aqueduct. When we talked about the Gotham, we didn't talk about him. He's in there as a leading contender. Uh, then you'll, you'll remember he was third in the San Vicente last time. Also, Sadler will run Scatify West Point in the San Felipe at Santa Anita, probably. They're pointing him for the uh, for that race against the Baffert uh, clan. And then down at Gulfstream, Cherie DeVoe will run Northern Invader in the Canadian turf, also on the Fountain of Youth undercar. A lot to watch for West Point this weekend. If you're interested in vaulting into the world of instant camaraderie and joining a West Point partnership, you can go to www.westpointtb.com. Randy, I'm going to out-rabbit hole you again on this oh, show. Oh, boy. Hey, oh. Tell me why Sl Slider is named Slider. No clue. Okay. Because one of the co-owners in the West Point partnership is Rob Murphy, the former oh. major league pitcher. M375. Yes. Rob Murphy, a good friend of mine, former uh, pitcher for the Boston Red Sox and a bunch of other teams. And, uh, you know, they put the baseball theme on him, and it's all in honor of Rob, who uh, in his day was a terrific pitcher and had a hell of a slider. So there you go. Wow. So you well, si well, since you're friends, I know you know this. How did Rob get the M375 stable name? It's slew spelled upside down. Exactly. Holy moly. Exactly. All right. I'm, all I'm right. leaving. So I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a wrap on this week's show. I want to thank my partners, Randy Moss and Zoe Cabman, the Green Group Guest of the Week, Todd Fincher, as well as our co-producers, Katie Petruniak and Anthony LaRocca, and our editors, Leo LaRocca and Nathan Wilkinson. So no um, no Lucy sightings because you're not at home, right? Uh, no, right. no, no. There's the hotel. There's the hotel bar. Sorry. No Lucy. Next week. All right. Tell no, Lucy when you get home we missed her this week. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. See you next week. Cheers. Yes.